The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So I'd like to introduce our guest speaker this morning. His name is Lester Cruzet. So Lester graduated from uh, high school. He's from the city in Chicago, grew up in Albany Park, and he graduated from U of I and spent six years there as a high school teacher. He then moved to St. Louis and attended seminary there and was a campus minister at WashU St. Louis and one of the fellowships there and also became the lead pastor at New Life Presbyterian Church in St. Louis. In 2017, Lester moved out to Chicago in obedience to the Lord, and he started attending our church uh, last December. Now, he does, he's married, his wife Grace, and this is what he wrote. I didn't say this, okay? He has two Corpino children, which means <laughs> half Filipino, half Korean children. Uh, oldest daughter, Hannah, four, and Joseph, one. And what I want to say about Lester is that he's just such a, an authentic brother. And I'm going to, this is not in the script, but super grateful for him. And uh, one thing he didn't share in his bio is that he is a phenomenal dancer. And I don't know if he's going to do anything for us this morning. I know. It, it precedes you, man. So before you hear the word, I just want to, let's welcome our brother Lester Cruzet to the podium. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Eugene. Um, uh, good, lo- uh, good late morning, ICC. Um, morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I was, uh, I was debating whether to share this because this wasn't included in the bio, but um, I just want to give a little more context as to why me and my family are here now attending ICC. Um, it wasn't too long ago uh, when I couldn't even imagine coming back here, uh, up here to preach uh, and serve the church again. Uh, after eight years of ministry in St. Louis, um, following a call from the Lord to plant a church in Chicago, um, in the summer of 2017, my family and I were hit with probably the most trying and difficult times of ministry, uh, full of hurt, depression, uh, burnout, uh, leading us to depart from our previous church family uh, last September. Uh, through old college friends and the warm invitation of Dr. Steve, we came to ICC seeking healing and restoration. And that's exactly what we've been receiving these past six months. Um, To our friends here, the pastoral staff, um, leadership, titos and titas, and um, faithful members of Emmanuel, just just thank you for uh, the timely messages, the the hangouts, the prayers, the conversations over meals, your listening ears, and your welcoming spirit. Uh, we We are truly finding a renewing of our strength and hope in God and his church. Um, this church is full of people that really love the Lord, and uh, we've been so blessed to be amongst you. <laughs> well, that said, um, now receive the benediction. Uh, <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding, just kidding. With that said, with that said, uh, we're just going to go on with this theme of community uh, coming off the retreat from last weekend, and uh, we're going to hear more from the Word of God as it relates to this topic of forgiveness, forgiveness. So, uh, please turn with me to Matthew 18, 21 to 35, and just uh, follow along with me. 
Uh, starting with verse 21. Uh, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, when he, went, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. He said, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. To the servant, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Please have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Please pray with me one more time. Uh, Father, we ask you to enlighten our minds and our hearts with this uh, seemingly impossible act of forgiving someone that has wronged us or hurt us. We ask you, Lord, that through the power of your word and the power of your spirit, you would transform us and move us in a direction of being more loving, being conduits of your love towards others. And we ask you, Lord, as we gather here, may we experience that together. Lord, may, may your words come out of, may your words come from, as it comes from your word, may it May it saturate our hearts and, and transform us, Lord. That's what we, that's what we long for. We, we long to hear from you. And we pray for an intimate encounter of you as you lovingly guide us in how to obey you. So, Lord, be with us now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness was pretty much the last thing on Nick James's mind after he found out that his wife cheated on him. He says, uh, Nick says, there are very few words to describe the hurt and the rage that just builds up inside of you, and you feel so helpless in those situations. As soon as I found out about the affair, this guy, this animal that she's been having this affair with, I, I just wanted pure blood. I hated him. I fantasize about doing horrible things to him, cutting his brake pipes, hoping he crashes, hoping he gets some sort of disease, and and these were thoughts that I've had constantly. James knew he couldn't act out his fantasy, so instead he laid out a mini revenge plot. So in the following weeks to come, he found an opportunity to uh, find out where he lives, 
locate his car. And what he did was he put anchovies in his tailpipe and dog poop on his handles. Uh, James uh, later commented on his masterpiece. I mean, I was rolling around in tears of laughter because he got what he deserved. James says these harmless acts of revenge actually made him feel better. And you know what he did? He took this, this uh, revenge thing and made it into a business. He actually made a website called GetRevengeOnYourX.com, and you could actually hire him and his staff to get back at those who have wronged you. And the site actually still works, so it's still up. He said, it's about getting my own self-control back. It was about getting my self-respect. Because if you've been hurt, betrayed, or made a fool of, you need to do something. Otherwise, it festers inside. And you know what? Revenge works. And we can relate, right? We can relate. When, we, when we're wronged, you know, for most of us, our knee-jerk reaction is to want to get back at the person. There's something inside of us that longs for justice. And, and we can even fantasize and daydream about taking, taking that justice into our own hands, right? through some degree of vengeance, right? This theme of vengeance saturates our culture. Many movies like, um, like Kill Bill, Gladiator, countless Korean movies, right? They're all, they're all based in this theme of revenge, right? Think of, think of the, the recent Marvel movies. I can't think of, any, of many Marvel heroes that don't have their origin story or primary motive of, of fighting crime based on avenging the loss of a loved one. All this to say that it is very, very hard. It's a hard thing to forgive. It's a very hard thing to forgive. It can seem so impossible to do. When when we're hurt, every fiber of our being wants to withhold that forgiveness. Maybe we want to give up on the relationship. Uh, We we want to um, treat our offender in in a cold manner, inflict emotional pain back, right? We want to lash back. We want want to take revenge. And and I get it. I get it. I I thought I could work and get along with everybody. But it wasn't until I encountered a fellow brother in Christ that deeply wounded me. I, I felt betrayed, cheated. I wanted every fiber of my being to feel what, to, for, for him to feel what I felt. I never thought I had the capacity to hate, to have such violent scenarios play out in my head in getting back at him. Now, if you think it's easy to forgive, then I think it's safe to say that you have never really been wounded and hurt by another person. This sermon is a result of my own pain and exploration of what it means to forgive as it is taught and revealed in the Word of God. And so let's, t- simple outline, right? So we'll, we'll do this. We'll look at the what, why, and how of forgiveness. The, the, the what, why, and how. All anchored in the passage that we just read. So let's start off, right? Number one, what is forgiveness? All right, well, let's start with what it's not. What it's not, quickly, what it's not. Um, forgiveness is certainly not forgetting. The king in this parable, the master in this parable, did not forget about the debt he was owed. There was no memory loss here. If, if, if you have been terribly abused, neglected, uh, victimized by someone, you, you probably haven't forgotten it. And you know what? It, you really don't need to do so. You don't need to. You, you can learn to forgive, yet remember quite well of the offense. And that's okay. It's okay. So the saying to forgive is to forget is 100% false. Second, forgiveness is not excusing. Excusing says, that's Okay. It's all right. It's all good, right? It implies that your offender, what your offender did wasn't really wrong. But, but the king never, he, the master said, never said that that was okay, that it wasn't a big deal. Rather, forgiveness is the opposite of excusing. Forgiveness actually recognizes the wrong. It says, 
We both know what you did was wrong and without excuse. Forgiveness is not excusing. True forgiveness recognizes what wrong has been done. Third, forgiveness is certainly not a feeling. And this is what causes us to get stuck in, uh, in unforgiveness. It's, it, I'm just like, I'm going to wait to feel uh, like I need to forgive, and then I'll forgive. No, you don't feel your way through forgiveness. Now, I, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's wrong to feel the way you do. We, don't, we just don't want to deny ourselves the right and the opportunity to feel the feelings of hurt and betrayal. We have to let those emotions run its course. But feelings of forgiveness, they can be actually mutually exclusive from one another. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is actually an act of the will, a choice. Fourth, uh, this is an important one. It's not an isolated moment, right? It's, it's not a one-time thing. It's naive to believe that forgiving another for any one failure or a lifetime of harm is ever entirely finished. Rather, forgiveness is a journey. It's a process that you continue to move into, that you continue to work through time and time again. Forgiveness is a choice that, that depending on how deep the offense is, it needs to be done again and again and again. It's a process. And then finally, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. We say, we say things like, I can never forgive him or her because I can't even picture being in a relationship with that person anymore. I, I, I can't go in business with them again. How am I supposed to forgive them? But guess what? Reconciliation, it takes two people. Forgiveness, it takes one. It takes one. You may never go back into business with them. You may never have the same relationship with them again. But you still are called to forgive. Reconciliation is between you and the offending party. Forgiveness is between you and God. Forgiveness is not forgetting, excusing, feeling. It's not a feeling. It's, it's not an isolated moment. It's not reconciliation. So what is forgiveness? Verse 27, the master of that servant released him. And forgave him the debt. When someone wrongs you, it feels like they robbed you of something, right? Of life, relationship, happiness, your reputation, maybe an opportunity. Therefore, they owe you for what they have taken from you. That's why you hear people say, I feel like he took, she took something from me. I feel robbed. I'm at a loss. I, they, they need to pay for, for me losing out. If they smeared our reputation, we want to smear them back. If they took an opportunity away, we want to take an opportunity away from them. An eye for an eye. Sometimes an eye for two eyes and a nose. We basically want to inflict the pain that we suffered onto the other, having them pay. We want them to pay, right? But forgiveness, forgiveness means what? Not they pay, but you pay, right? You pay. Forgiveness is actually absorbing pain rather than inflicting it on the other. Forgiveness is then, it's, you can say it's, it's costly. It always involves our own suffering when we, and, 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 when, and we are called to what? Absorb that pain. Forgiveness is sacrificial because you're saying they don't owe me anymore. They don't owe me anymore. What happened to the king in the parable? The king, the master lost the money. He absorbed the loss. You see, that's rough, right? That sounds, pretty, that sounds pretty hard to do, but check out verse 22. When Peter's asking him, how many times should I do this? Jesus goes, uh, 77 times. I say to you, not seven, but 77. What's 77? 77, he's basically saying limitless 
forgiveness. That's what you're supposed to do all the time. It's, it's forever. It's, it's you keep on doing it. No matter how times he wrongs you, you keep on doing it. Now you may be sitting there thinking, what? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, that, why should I? Why? why? Right? Tell, tell me why. And I will because it's the second point. Why? Why? Why should we forgive? Why should we forgive? Let's do the hard one first, okay? Verse 34 to 35. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's, that's crazy, right? Unless I forgive, I'm going to be eternally punished? Wait, is that, is that even biblical? Yeah, it's biblical because I just read it. But like... How is that the gospel? Right? I thought the gospel was about grace and mercy, not based on my good works and deeds. Right? Now listen, what Jesus is saying is this. If you, if you have truly received grace, if you have truly received me as your Savior, if you really get the gospel, then you should be able to, at the very least, extend that same grace and mercy to another person. You are the servant that was forgiven by the Master and in turn called to forgive your fellow brother and sister. You're commanded to forgive or to move into the journey of forgiveness. It is one of the most important marks of a true Christian. Pat Morrison writes this, We are not called to forgive others in order to earn God's love. Rather, having experienced his love, we have the basis and motive to forgive others. You see, this is what makes Christian forgiveness different from any other kind of forgiveness in the world. It's not based on our morality or willpower. It's, it's based on someone outside of us. It's based on God and the power of his forgiveness empowering us to forgive others. Now, there's one, that's one reason. It's commanded. Uh, two, why else should we forgive? Verse 21 22, Peter comes to the Lord and says, Lord, how often should I forgive him? Right? How, how often should I forgive him as he sins against me? What if he sins against me over and over again? How many times? And, and that question right there, Peter has made a wrong assumption. He thinks that forgiveness is actually for the benefit of the offender, I forgive, I pardon you. Right? A benefit for the offender, right? But, but, but forgiveness, looking at forgiveness in this way, it's, it's twisted. It's not right. Listen, when, when you're thinking about forgiving someone, what if they've wronged you? What, what, if, what if they don't even know that they wronged you, right? Or, or worse, what about if they don't even care that they wronged you? What do you do? Right? It, just, it just eats you up inside, right? Listen, forgiveness, it's supposed to happen despite the other, independent of how they react. Forgiveness doesn't depend on the other person apologizing and accepting your offer of forgiveness. Then, then what's going on? Here's the thing. Forgiveness is not for the offender. It's, it's actually for you. It's not for the offender. It's, it's for you. It's really for your sake. Bitterness has this way of giving us an illusion of power over that person and control over that person. We think, I'm going to stay angry at that person and I'll I'll hold them captive with my anger. The problem is the only person that's held captive is you. The damage of unforgiveness is great, not to them, but, but to you. As much as you think you're hurting the other person, you're actually killing yourself. And the picture that the Bible gives in this parable is the servant choking, choking his fellow servant. And that's, that's what you're doing. In your mind's eye, in your heart's eye, you're actually choking your offender, grasping them with your bitter heart, when in actuality, you're being choked out. You're the one being choked out by your own bitterness and anger. Why? Because the human heart, it was not designed by God to be a container of hate, anger, and bitterness. It wasn't. 
So why should I forgive? You're commanded to forgive. You've been given forgiveness. Now give that to someone else. It's a true mark of a Christian. And second, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, man, that eats at your soul. So third, let, let's go. How? Right? Okay, you got how, how then do I do this forgiveness thing? And I'll be, I'm going to be really, really practical here, okay, really practical. And again, this, this can take time, right? This can take time. So first, listen, it's really important. It's really, really, really important to be specific, okay? If we hurt generally, we forgive generally, you don't want to do that, right? It's important to recognize the wrong, recognize what happened, call out specifically what happened, who, who did the offense, right? Who, what, when, where, why? Why? We can, we can only work through, listen, we can only work through what we first acknowledge, by simply exploring the situation and acknowledging the impact of that betrayal, the reasons and context behind that betrayal, this can be a great beginning towards forgiveness. So first, focus, right? Second, draw good pictures. Now, if you've ever been to Great America or an amusement park, uh, you know they have different booths laid and scattered out there. And, and a couple of these booths uh, contain uh, cartoonists, right? cartoonists. And they have you sit down and they draw you. Now, what happens there is they draw you. Um, it, it's, a lot of times it's really good because you're paying them for it. But, but notice about what cartoonists do. They actually um, accentuate certain features that you might not favor about yourself, right? So say you may have a, maybe a slightly bigger than normal nose or, or lips, right? Maybe you, have a, maybe you have a bigger head where in pictures you have to kind of do that illusion thing where you got to stay back and kind of so it looks like you're, I have a small head so I have to move forward and, and make it look like it looks like everyone else. But what happens is that, what are they doing? You're actually paying them to accentuate these features. And it's a pretty good picture. Not the most accurate picture, but it's a, it's a picture. It's, it's, again, exaggerating, accentuating certain features about you. And actually, when, when we're wronged, when we're wronged, we can actually blow out of proportion and exaggerate features about our offender. What do I mean? Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. All the fellow servant could see, what, this is all he could see. This is a dishonest jerk. Right? That's all he is. Right? And he just owes me money. That's all, that's all he's good for. Right? When we're wrong, we have a tendency to compare. We, we have a tendency to, 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 to say statements like, man, he always does, does this. He, he is only a cheater. He's only mean. She, she, she only backstabs. When we're wrong, we have a tendency to compare ourselves with the offender. I would never, I would never do that. And that, 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 brings, that brings to light even, even more anger and, and vitriol against forgiveness. Right? I would never be like you. How, how could you? Really? Really? You would never? You would never? You're not even capable of doing what they've done to you? Really? You can't continue to humanize people like that. We... We, we draw these inaccurate pictures of people and we just dehu- we dehumanize them, right? Like these cartoonists. What do we need to do? We need to be good photographers and photoshoppers, right? We, we need to be willing to uh, paint it with biblical truth, right? This, this brother and sister, this, this brother, this is person that offended me. They're made in the image of God. They're, they're, he's a sinner just like me, right? I, God wants to redeem him or her just like he does me. So focus, right? Be specific, draw pictures, and, and, then, and then focus. And the third, focus on your debt to the king. 
the 10,000 talents versus the 100 denarii that you feel that you are owed. Let's do, let's do a little some calculation here, some calculations. One denarii equals uh, wages of one work day, okay, back in the day, back during that time. One denarii equals one wage, uh, wages for one work day. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. So if we look at that in days of wages, for 10,000 talents, that actually, that actually equals 60 million days of work versus 100 denarii, which equals three months, three months of work. Okay, so, so we have, have 10,000 talents versus a measly 100 denarii. It's not, we're not talking about, the parable's not talking about a small versus large debt. It's actually talking about a small versus an unpayable debt. Impossible. Impossible to pay back, right? We, it's, it, listen, we're all in the same league. We, we are all debtors to the Lord by 10,000 talents, right? An infinite amount. Everyone owes God an unpayable debt. But then God, in his mercy, doesn't deal with us with record-keeping ways. We do that, right? God says, just as I had mercy on you, have mercy on others. The, the master here is saying, stop keeping accounts of what they did. Stop with the record keeping. The essence of the gospel is God no longer deals with us from a record keeping approach. God doesn't remember. He chooses not to bring it up our past, right? And, holds it, and he doesn't hold it against us ever again. He goes, I approach you now from the son of my son, Jesus Christ, right? That's why the father's love is eternal and unconditional and free. It's based, it's based on the crucified and resurrected son, not you. And this is good news. So what, what, what's it, what do we do? We, may we be convicted by our own sins. Right? May we be convicted of our offenses unto the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we, may we see the 10,000 talents and see that we're all in the same boat together. Right? See the 10,000 talents the Lord has forgiven you for. Focus on that. In terms of praying for your offender, Andrew Pino, a Christian author, says this, uh, when you can't forgive someone, pray for them. Right? It, it may not change them, but it will always change you. Okay? So focus. Draw good pictures. Focus on your debt to the king. And then finally, probably the hardest thing, uh, you pay down the debt. You pay down the debt. The most natural thing to do, the tendency, the inner drive, right, the reflex is to for them to hurt, to hurt them, to pay, to pay them back. You're mean to them. You slash into them. You beat them up. We think, you know, you're beneath me. You're, you're dead to me. I'm going to make the other person pay somehow, some way. Yet, yet we're called to pay down the debt. How do you do that? How do you do that? This is how you do it, right? What does that mean, right? That thing that wants to come out of you and you just want to go off at that person, but you don't. Because why? They don't, earn, or they don't owe you anymore. And you know what? Let's be real. That, that hurts. That hurts. You want to be cold? Instead, you're warm to them, right? And yeah, that, man, that hurts, right? Because you are paying down the debt. They're not. See, again, forgiveness is a form of suffering. So if it's so painful, it feels like death, doesn't it? When you just withhold. When you just don't do what you think is so natural to do, it's just to, to, to thrash them. When you, but when you follow the way of Jesus and you choose the way of forgiveness, even though it feels like death, listen, it is death that leads to resurrection. 
It's called the Christ pattern, right? We, we can say we believe the gospel. We can go to church. We can sing the songs. We can pray the prayers. But the true litmus test of a son and daughter of God is that I enter into the Christ pattern. I die. I suffer only to find life, only to find resurrection from my death. It is Jesus that leads us to rebirth, resurrection, and transformation. Though the death, through, through the death-like experience of forgiving someone, you never come out the same again. You never come out the same again. You will find the Heavenly Father meet you in your pain. He is your great reward for forgiving. God is your great reward for forgiving. So as you journey in forgiveness, you're coming into the likeness of Jesus becoming that much more real. The relationship, the intimacy of you and the Lord becomes that much more real. The Father becomes that much more real and alive. Psalm 1611, these verses come in the context of being in obedience with the Lord. It says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You gain so much more in him than, than what you feel like you lost from them. One more time. You gain so much more in him than what you feel like you lost from them. In your lifetime, you, you will die to yourself again and again. But you will also be resurrected in him again and again. This is the Christ pattern. Death to life, death to life. When you forgive you engage in the Christ pattern. Now, we've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about forgiveness for others and receiving that forgiveness from God. But, you know, your Christianity, is not just, it's not just about you and God. The gospel, Christianity is also about you and God and how the whole world is affected. Forgiveness has a macroscopic, worldwide, worldwide effect. Every single deed of forgiveness one partakes in, it changes the world. I don't know if you've ever seen this platform on the internet. It's called Quora. It's a, it's a website where you can actually um, type in questions, and the best answers actually get voted up. So it's a, it's a really great site, uh, uh, just learning new things, and and there was this question that was posed on Quora uh, about a couple of years ago, and it asked this. Why do certain people derive pleasure from doing cruel things to their fellow human beings? One woman responds in a deep and profound way. She says this. If you have ever had your heart broken or lost someone you love, you know the way emotional pain can move around inside of you, shutting your throat, twisting your stomach, pressing down on your heart. This traveling pain is my definition of suffering. She continues on on giving an account of a time when there was genocide in southeastern Europe. She says this, In July 1995, 8,000 men and boys were massacred in a small town east of Bosnia. It was called the Srebrenica Genocide. In the midst of that horrific time, there was an interview where a man justified his part in a murder. He explained that his son had been killed by Bosnian Muslims. She continues, I remember being floored. How could it be that someone who had suffered the loss of a child could ever want anyone else to feel the same way? But of course, what he was hoping to do was not to feel the loss, but to turn it into heat and blast it 
onto someone else's heart. When suffering is upon us, we have two options. We can process and digest it and pass it on. Or we can absorb it. She goes on to say this. My definition of evil is suffering passed along to someone else. Again, my definition of evil is suffering passed along to someone else. In the process, whatever started the pain is lost and the energy moves as revenge or cruelty until someone else can bring it to ground. Whatever started the pain is lost and the energy moves as revenge or cruelty until someone else can bring it to ground. God, our Father, has found a way for the perpetual nature of evil to be stopped. Jesus is that someone that brings the pain to the ground and stops it from being passed to another. On the cross, he willingly dies for our sins, taking all the pain and wrath of the Father so that we wouldn't have to suffer and be destroyed from that wrath. It is Jesus that takes that wrath on the cross head on and refuses to blast us back with it. What does he do? He absorbs the pain. Jesus absorbs the pain and he keeps it for himself. It is on that cross that we receive forgiveness. It is on that cross where true and eternal suffering stops in Jesus. Right? I mean, we don't stop suffering in this world, but the eternal suffering of being apart from the Heavenly Father is terminated. We're with him forever because of Jesus. As we live in a world of perpetual evil, a world where it's normal, even justified to, to, to when we get hurt, we, we pass on the hurt from one person to another. Where it's, com- where it's a common practice for suffering to be passed on from one hurt person to another, like an infectious disease. It is forgiveness that stops the suffering from moving on. And like Jesus, the suffering stops with us, in us. We take on the suffering that comes with forgiveness because we know that we have the power to do so in the gospel. Our suffering, our death brings life to others, and we find ourselves participating in God's plan of making this world new again. The Lord is working to redeem and bring shalom, peace to this world and as we choose to forgive, we're actually playing our kingdom part in, he- in the healing and restoration of this broken and unforgiving world. We are, in effect, we are, in effect, giving a real life, living and breathing example of Christ's available forgiveness, available forgiveness for others, that they may find him, that they may know him, that they may encounter him through us. From engaging in the impossible act of forgiveness, may your knowledge and faith in the gospel just deepen. May, as you forgive, may your encounter of the Lord be that much more rich and real. Marianne Williamson, an author, says this, The practice of forgiveness is our most important contribution to the healing of this world. We are called to be living, breathing manifestations of God's forgiveness in Christ on the cross. May people's hearts melt for Jesus as they encounter forgiveness from our own suffering hearts. Let's pray. You know, Paul pretty much sums up this whole sermon well with these verses. Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another. And if, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must 
forgive. You've heard the saying, right? Hurt people hurt people. But the hurt people of God forgive people. Listen, I, I am no way minimizing your heart, your, the hurt in your heart, the offense, the trauma you may be going through from being wronged. What I am saying is that I think God is bigger than that. So who do you need to forgive? Who do you know needs to be freed from their imprisonment of choosing not to forgive? To continue in their bitterness, anger, and blame, decaying their soul and slowly losing sight of their Christ on the cross. Pray for yourself. Pray for your offenders. Pray for those who are stuck in unforgiveness. May God, by the wisdom of his good word and power of the Holy Spirit, continue to form us into his forgiving people that have been forgiven because of Christ and Christ alone. So please pray those prayers right now.